Go ahead and have seats. Morning. Am I on? Can you hear? It's good to have everybody here this morning. Have us with us this morning. We're uh, we're in the middle of a, of a series of lessons. You know, we're, this is actually a, a one that's coming on after one we did earlier this year. Uh, the one that was called "Being on the Mission." Remember that one? Yeah. Remember what uh, mission we're on? God's mission, right? Everybody. Everybody, remember what the mission was? Have we forgotten that already? Be, to be a blessing, right? God was going to be a blessing to the nations, and so we're following up with the series we're on now is uh, the invitation and uh, inviting people to join us on this mission. And uh, today, you can bring up the first, the beginning. Uh, Today, we're, we're, the, the topic is invi- invited to peace, invited for peace. Okay. And uh, hopefully, we'll get this thing up and going here in a minute. But uh, the, the title that I've assigned, I guess, is My Yoke is Easy. Okay. And we're going to get into that in just a minute. You know, there's a very interesting fact that I found as I was studying through this. Paul wrote uh, 11... 11 epistles in the New Testament, and every single one of them started out in one way or another, there was this thing about grace and peace to you. Every one of them. And so, you know, we talk a lot about grace, and we've heard a lot of sermons about grace. I was trying to think the last time I heard a sermon on peace. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe there's been one, but I haven't heard one recently. And so... uh, (laughs) I'm thinking that uh, given the state of our world and everything and what's been going on the last couple of years, that this is a, probably a very relevant topic yes. for us today. Yes, and I've been really looking forward to this, to being able to share some thoughts with you about this, uh, about this topic. Okay, so um, I was reading in my quiet time this morning in the book of Ezekiel, and God is always talking to you in one way or another. But in Ezekiel chapter 13, he said, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. And that really spoke to me this morning as I was getting ready to preach this morning. I don't want to be the prophet, you know, that's speaking from my own imagination. So I've been praying all week that this is God's message coming up to us. And hopefully uh, we'll be able to do some things. We're going to start with uh, Matthew chapter 11. This is a passage I think that's probably very familiar to most of us. Starting in verse 28, Jesus is talking. He says to the people there, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In one of the commentaries that I was reading as I was preparing for this, the section in his commentary that dealt with these verses was titled, The Great Invitation. So I thought this is probably a good place to start, you know, given, uh, given the, our, our current series. This is Jesus' Great Invitation. And it's probably one of the most familiar passages. I don't know if there's many other passages of Scripture, words of Jesus that people know. Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened. I think people, a lot of people have heard that. But I think that first sentence kind of summarizes our series so far. As we, you know, if it says, come unto me, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about being invited to follow, right? And so being invited to follow Jesus. And boy, didn't those young folks that shared last week, didn't they do an awesome job? Wow. Good job. Then he says, uh, come unto me, all, you, all of you who are weary and burdened. A couple of weeks before that, Ethan shared a message with us about who was called. And he was talking about uh, God, Jesus and God calling the downtrodden. And uh, one of the uh, translations that I read talked about all of you who are exhausted and weighed down beneath your burdens. How many of us have felt that before? Exhausted and weighed down by your burdens. That's who Jesus is calling. But today, our topic is, I will give you rest. And what I want to do is I want to uh, talk, first of all, about the rest, the peace that Jesus is offering. What does that really mean, the peace in the Bible? Then I want to talk a little bit about why it's so important to us. I think... Peace is an important, if not an integral part of the gospel message. And I want to talk a little bit about why it's so important. And then lastly, how does Jesus bring us peace? So that's where we're heading this morning. You know, sometimes I find in my, in my study that the original message of the scriptures sometimes kind of gets lost in the translation from the, from the ancient languages to, to modern English. And I think that's one of the things that's going on with peace here. Because we look at the English word peace. I looked it up uh, on dictionary.com, right? And it says that uh, peace is defined as a state of tranquility or quiet, freedom from civil disturbance. And while that's captures, you know, a lot of the meaning there, but the meaning of the, in the biblical, the biblical idea of peace, I think, goes beyond that. And I want to get into that a little bit. If we look at the, uh, the idea of peace in the Bible, it goes all the way back into the Old Testament. The Jewish term for peace that was translated peace is the word shalom. If you know any Hebrew at all, you probably know that word, shalom. And in the, and in the, Old Testament shalom basically carried with it this idea of kind of a completeness, a wholeness. And so it's more than just feeling a feeling of calm, but it's a feeling of completeness and wholeness. And I think God's peace, the peace of the Bible, is something that goes on inside of us and is not necessarily something that's going on around us. Sometimes I find it helpful 
to think about a, a particular topic is thinking about the opposite. What's the opposite? Because the Bible talks a lot about the opposite of peace also. It uses the word anxiety or anxious. And I think a lot of us are quite familiar with the idea of anxiety. I know in my, in my if you don't know, I'm a, I'm a therapist. And uh, there has been an exp- a literal explosion of anxiety in our culture over the last year and a half. And so I think this is a very apropos topic for us today. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 22, Jesus says, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will put on. The word that's translated anxious there comes from a word, the root word literally means to divide. And so the idea of being anxious here is the idea of of a person whose mind is divided, who is not whole, who is kind of uh, divided amongst several different stuff. Maybe you felt that. Competing things that are competing for your attention in your life, and you're divided in your mind and in your hearts. So in very literal sense, the word for anxious and the word for peace are, are opposite, yeah. opposites. And we could look a lot at the idea of anxiety. You know, it's 2.30 in the morning, and you're a young teen, and you wake up, can't go back to sleep, in a few hours you got to go to the funeral of your grandfather, the person who's the only father figure you've ever had. And now he's gone, and this is the first person you've ever known that's really died. And all these questions come flooding in your mind. What's life all about? What's the meaning of all this? And I have no answer, so I lay there and worry. It's 2.30 in the morning, and you're a 20-something. And tomorrow is the final exam of your last, of your last class for your, for your degree. You've got to pass this exam in order to graduate. You're, you're concerned about the test, but you're also concerned and worried about graduation. I've been in school my whole life. What am I going to do now? I've got to find a job. The economy's not very good. Can I find a job? Yeah. I don't even know what kind of a job I want. Yeah. Yeah. And so I lay there and I worry. It's 2.30 in the morning and you're a 30-something. And you wake up and you, you, you start look, thinking about yourself, your life, and you see that you're in a dead-end job. You're trying, to, you're trying to complete your degree. You've been going to school like it seems forever. All your friends have long since graduated. They have jobs. There are, some of them are even married, have kids. What's wrong with me? I'm stuck. I feel stuck. So I lay there and I worry. It's 2.30 in the morning. You're 40-something. And you just learned that your spouse has been in an affair. You don't know what to do. Will my marriage survive? Will my family survive? Can I trust this person anymore? 
I lay there and I worry. You're 50-something. And the company that you've worked for for years and years and years got sold. And you don't know if they're going to keep you around. And I'm 50-something, and I don't know, are they, you know, this is a bad time of life to be trying to find a new job. What about my family? What about my wife? So I lay there, and I worry. I'm 60-something, and there's a pandemic going on. My wife and I are suddenly working at home together. Our house is not built. Our house is not built for two offices. So we're underfoot. You know, we're, we're annoying to each other. We start to argue. What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to my marriage? Anxiety can come at any time, at any time of life, and in many different forms and many different ways. In psychology, gosh, that's the very... Okay, we'll get there in a minute. (laughs) So um, in psychology, there's basically four kind of classifications of anxiety. There's an anxiety that comes that's phobic, you know, a fear. I'm fear of, I'm fear of spiders or something. You know, there's phobias. <clears throat> that's, a, that's a fear-based kind of anxiety. <clears throat> there's an anxiety that's the result of trauma, PTSD. We've heard a lot about that. Trauma happens in our life, and uh, anxiety can come from that. There's an anxiety that we call generalized anxiety disorder. That's the person that worries about everything. Everything that comes along, I'm worried about. I'm even worried that I worry so much. And then there's a disorder that we call an adjustment disorder with anxiety that something happens in our life and we're having a difficult time dealing with it, and so I get anxious about it. Okay, this is really important to me that I really communicate this to you as as best I can. What does all this stuff mean? You know, it doesn't mean, but what it really means is that you're just a human being. Because this is something we all face. It doesn't mean that you're stupid. It doesn't mean that you're emotionally underdeveloped. It doesn't mean that you're immature. It doesn't mean that your parents have failed you or that you've failed your parents. And it certainly, listen, it doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. And it doesn't mean that the worry that you feel is is sin. You know, we read passages like where Jesus says, don't be anxious. And we we like to read those, I think, as a command. You're not supposed to be anxious. And so if I'm anxious, I'm doing something wrong. But anxiety is a normal part of life. And it's there for God created it in us for a reason, as we'll see as we go through here. But it's not something to be feared. I like to read these passages that says, do not be anxious, as God saying, you know, I know you're going to be anxious at some point in time, but you don't have to be. You don't have to live. If you look in the, in the, in the original language, the tenses of those words are not, are not saying that anxiety itself is wrong. 
It's just saying you don't have to live in a state of constant anxiety. And it doesn't mean it's not helpful for somebody to come up and say, oh, what you're going through, does it, it's, it's okay, it's not a big deal, just get over it. Because all those things that happen to us, they are big deals. And even if there's something that's going on with a friend of yours and you think, oh, that's not, why are they so anxious about that? It's, anx- it, it's a big deal to them. Okay? And so we got to, you know, God is offering us hope that there's a way to deal with this. And that's what we want to talk about today. This is Corey Ten Boom. I don't know if you've heard of that name before. Corey Ten Boom was a Dutch resistance worker during World War II. She was a Christian, actually. But she worked in kind of the underground at that time, and she helped Jews escape from Germany. And at some point in her life, she was captured, and she was put in a concentration camp, and she was a survivor of a German concentration camp. And she wrote a lot about her experiences. This is one of her quotes. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its troubles. It empties today of its strength. We, the goal for today is for us to find some strength in times of trial. James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, I believe that this this peace that the Bible holds out that, that God and Jesus wants to give to us and bring into our life is not something that we necessarily experience or are expected to experience every moment of our life. I think a lot of us read this verse about considering it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials. And we think, how in the world is that supposed to happen? But you don't necessarily experience that joy in the midst of the trials and tribulations, right? But you can find that joy when when you're able to overcome, when you're able to see that you're growing more mature and complete, Right? You know, that completeness, that fullness, finding strength in the midst of a, of a difficult time, isn't that worth something, isn't that worth searching for? Isn't that worth, isn't that worth something in our life? And isn't, shouldn't that be seen as an, as an integral part of the good news of Jesus? He's bringing us strength and the ability to deal with some of these difficult situations. Yeah. So why is it such an important part of of the gospel message? One of my favorite passages in all the Bible is John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says, I have told you these things. This is in the middle of of the discourse in John at the the Last Supper. And this starts in like, what, chapter 11, 12, 13. So this is, he's quite a ways into it. He's He's told his disciples a lot of stuff, right? And so he says, I've told you these things. Why? So that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you have trouble and suffering. But take courage. 
I've conquered the world. So many of us think that when we become Christians, that our life just kind of should smooth out. That everything should go cool, that God will protect us from bad things happening. And that things will just be better. And in some ways they are, but if you take a look even at Jesus' life, that is a Jesus' life. That doesn't describe the life that Jesus led. And I, and it goes, I believe it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And if you've heard me preach any at all, you know that just about every time I preach something, it goes back to Genesis 1, 2, or 3. It goes back to there. So the Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, this is when Adam and Eve have eaten the apple. God is confronting them, and this is what God is saying to Adam. He says, Cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil. You will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now compare that picture. Put that picture in your mind and think about Genesis chapter 2. Everything's cool. Adam and Eve is in the garden. They're walking with God. Right? The very last verse of Genesis chapter 2 says that Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And I want us to think beyond the fact that they didn't have any clothes on. That was, okay? But I think the idea there, the picture is, man, there's what we have to fear. We're here. We're in paradise. We're with God. Everything's cool. We're walking with God in the midst of the garden. And compare that to what we just read in Genesis 3. That's what happened because of our sin. The biblical message, I think, through the whole Bible, from Genesis chapter 1 through Revelation, is that we live in a broken world. And because the world is broken, because of our sin, we all experience a lot of trouble and suffering. That's just a part of life. And the gospel, the good news of the gospel, is that there's a new king in town, right? And this king, one of Abraham's seed that fulfills the promise from Genesis 12, this new king is, is leading us into being able to find those blessings that God promised. Freedom from the slavery of sin. You know, we think about sin and, and that, and as we should, but freedom from sin also includes freedom, also includes the peace of mind and the peace of heart that comes when we're freed from our sin. And that's a peace that only God and Jesus can provide. I want to think a little bit about how does God go about, how does Jesus bring peace to us? You know, my modern psychology has taught us a lot about relaxation techniques and things that we can do to kind of help calm our, our spirits. And those are all very beneficial, but they can only go so far. One of the things that I experience in my practice is I just 
as I practice, you know, the psychology things I learned in school, I can get people to a certain point, but if they're, depending upon what their problem is and what their hurt is, I can only do so much. But I think that Jesus, the peace that Jesus promised us is so much more than just psychology. You know, I was thinking back, I remember growing up as a kid, and uh, my dad was, a, was an airplane mechanic in World War II. He worked on airplanes. And after the war, he and my mom and my sister moved to St. Louis, and my dad worked for McDonnell Aircraft Company. Worked there his entire adult life. Retired from there after how many decades of working. He was good at what he did. He received a few commendations from the company over the course of his career. But the point is, is that my dad worked hard. He had a good job. And even though there were four kids, we weren't rich, but we had what we needed. We didn't, have to, we didn't worry about food. We didn't have to worry about what we were going to wear. Remember what Jesus said, not to worry about our food, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. I grew up not having to worry about that stuff. And why was that? I knew who my dad was. I knew who my dad was. And I knew that he was a provider. You can go to the next slide. I have a clicker, but I don't, I don't even try to use it. This is another quote from Corey Tim Boom. You probably can't read that. <laughs> there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Yeah. Got to know who our dad is. You know, when I'm faced with, the, with this troubling situation, when I was growing up, I knew who my dad was, and he was able to kind of keep things calm. Let's go to the next one. This is, this is a, a, a meme that uh, my wife turned me on to a couple years ago. It says, you're afraid to, of surrender because you don't want to lose control, but you never had control. All you had was anxiety. Isn't that the root? Isn't that the root of all of our anxious thoughts and stuff? We're trying to, we're trying to hang on to control. We're trying to make things happen to do right. And all, the more we hang on to it and the more we try to control things, the more anxious we become. You know, coming, coming to know God's love in a very experiential way, I think, is the path to really finding this peace that we're talking about. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul writes... In this, in this section, he says, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Yeah. And it goes on to say that Jesus' purpose was, was to reconcile us to God through the cross. And that puts to death the hostility between people and between us and God. It says he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. We can know who our Father is. Amen. And we can trust that Father. 
I titled this sermon, uh, My Yoke is Easy. Go to the next picture. The next slide should be up. These, I don't know. Some of you young folks may not know what a yoke is. <laughs> just, just, these are pictures. I don't know if you see those. The one on the left, yoke that's, that's for two, that's for two uh, animals. And they hook them up together, usually oxen or bulls or something like that. And they, they're pulling some kind of a weight. The one on the right, you may not know this. I didn't, wasn't really aware of this until I started reading on it. That's one for a single person. And people, people uh, th- this particular one, interestingly enough, you can tell the, the, little, the little hole is pretty small. This one was made for a woman or for, a, for a, an adolescent boy. And the idea of yo- those yokes... Not only, you know, the, the, the two one helps them to work together, but the design of those things spreads the load out to where you can, you know, a per, a, say like a young boy carrying that one on, on the right there has a couple of things on his weight. He can carry a lot more. The idea of, of the yoke, I mean, those things that you look at and they look like they're kind of he- they could be kind of heavy just in and of themselves. Why would we want to put more weight on them? Right, but the idea of a yoke is that you can put this smaller weight on, and it helps you to deal with a much larger weight. And I think that's the picture that Jesus is trying to convey when he's talking to the to the farmers there. He was talking to, you know, my yoke is easy. You can put my yoke on, and yeah, it may, sometimes it may feel a little heavy, but it's going to help you to deal with all the heavy, heavy stuff that you're going to have to deal with in your life. So the path to this peace is to take up Jesus' yoke, and how do we do that? The next slide is Philippians chapter 4. And Jim read part of this this morning. Verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Rejoice in the Lord always. I've been thinking about, you know, what does it mean in my life? And I think part of what I shared you know, rejoicing in the Lord is knowing who your dad is. Amen. Knowing who your father is. Knowing that I was made in God's image. And I was made to be your bearer of his image in the world around me. Yeah. And can I rejoice in, in that knowledge? Can I, can I rejoice in knowing that I was, you know, that I was created by God? No matter what situation I'm going to, that doesn't change. Right. God is still my, my father, yeah. and I'm still bearing Jesus' image. 
Viktor Frankl is another person you may have heard heard his name. He was a Jewish man that uh, lived in, during World War II. He actually was in a Jewish con in a German concentration camp and survived the concentration the concentration camp and wrote kind of extensively about his experiences. Go to the next slide. This is one of his quotes. You have a why to live can bear with almost any how. I remember a few months ago, this young guy come walking in, into my office. He's walking in like this, kind of slumped over, looking down at the floor. <clears throat> and he sits down, and he's sitting, and he's just... First time I've seen him, and, you know, you go through the demographic stuff, how old you are, where you're living, that kind of thing. And I, I always ask when I get to this, says, what brings you in today? This guy finally looks up at me, looks at me, and he says, I'm looking for a reason to look for a reason to live. Wow. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, <laughs> this is going to be a good one. I'm looking for a reason to look for a reason to live. I don't know if you've ever been in a spot like that. That's a pretty deep hole. Yeah. But one of Victor Frankl's observations was the, per the people who survived the concentration camps were the ones that had a reason to live, right. yeah. that, had a, that had a why in their life. What's your why? You know, that passage in Philippians goes on to talk about presenting your request to God prayer with prayer and thanksgiving. And I think prayer and thanksgiving is a really important part of what we're talking about here. Some people, I've heard a person say that it's impossible for gratitude and anxiety to exist in the same heart. And I don't know if that's literally true or not, but I think it's very difficult if you're a grateful person and a thankful and in the habit of being grateful and thankful for things, I think it'd be much more difficult for you to feel anxious about stuff. Oh, there's an old hymn. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. What if you did that every day? What if you got up every day and you just made a list of the things that you were grateful for, the things that God blessed you with, you think it might be a little bit more difficult for you to go through the day feeling anxious about stuff. <clears throat> How many of us, Eddie, Eddie uh, Burris is our local mechanic, right? <laughs> He's our mechanic guy in the church. How many of us have taken a car to Eddie's shop and you drove your car into his shop and then you pulled out your, your, uh, your little chair and you put it there, and you sit down, and you, and you say, okay, Eddie, uh, I want you to work on my car, but I'm going to be here in case you need any help. <laughs> you know, and I'm going to be watching what you do, and, and, and uh, you know, why, why are you using that crescent wrench? Why aren't you using a socket? Why, why are you doing this right now? Do we do that? No. But how many of us, how many of us take our problem, we say we pray about it, or I'm going to give it to God, 
But we hang in there and want to, want to tell God how to do it. You know, I want, I want you to do this, 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 and this. Is it, easier, is it easy for us to give our problem to God and then walk away and let God deal with it? I find that it's pretty difficult to do that sometimes. Don't know about you. 1 Peter 5, verse 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him, on God, because he cares for you. You know, when, you're, when I'm faced with a difficult situation and, I, and I'm, having, I'm really kind of wrestling with it, the first question I want to ask is, is there anything I can do about that right now? If there is, then I need to do it. But if there's nothing that I can do about this right now, then why do I sit and worry about it? Pray and give it to God and let God deal with it. He's for the present. Now I remember when my son Mark was born. I think most of you people know Mark. He's this he's back with the kids now. But when he was born, he was born premature. I don't know if you know that. He was born he was three pounds when he was born. This was forty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> He was three pounds. I remember going to the NICU and holding him, and his little body fit in my hand. And my hand is not a big, it's not Brandel's hand. My hand is smaller, and he fit right there. Now, I remember the doctor coming to me and saying, right after he was born, the first 36 hours are the critical time. If he survives 36 hours, he's got a good shot. Now, I don't want any of you people asking if, if, if he survived because he's back there. I just I already told you he's back there. But I have a distinct memory of walking into the elevator in Wesley Hospital after the doctor telling me that and not knowing whether my little son was going to live or not. And I remember thinking, you know, praying to God, asking, you know, for him to be okay. But just I remember thinking, you know, God, if he doesn't make it, what a blessing, what a miracle it was for me to participate in the birth of this little guy. And if you're a parent, you kind of know what I'm talking about there. But just being able to experience that was such a blessing. You know, I slept that night. I wish... I wish I was able to be more like that through other parts in my life. I haven't always been like that, but I think that's the time I look back and I say I, I truly gave it over to God, and I was able to go and I was able to sleep. Wow. You know, that passage ends up by talking about all, you know, everything that's lovely, everything that's, you know, noble, everything that's beautiful, all those things. Think about these things. That's almost a description of behavioral uh, cognitive behavioral therapy in a sentence. (laughs) If somebody is trying to do cognitive behavioral therapy, if you go to the therapist, this is essentially what they're trying to do, is to get your mind off all the bad stuff and think about the good stuff. And it's right here 
in Scripture. Wow. Once again, you know, if you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and you can't go back to sleep, are you thinking about all that stuff that's whirling around in your head? Or can you find a way to think about all the good stuff that's going on in your life? Is there any good stuff going on in your life? Are you even in... I have that guy that I was talking to you about. He, there was, he could not name one thing, literally one thing, that he, could, he thought was a blessing in his life. You know, being one of the things that I experienced in that moment with my son and going into the elevator was this idea of just being able to accept the circumstance. It's something I had no control over. I had nothing. I, I couldn't go in and help the doctors. Wouldn't have been any help for, with them anyway. There was nothing literally that I could do. But I had to come to a point where I ex- could accept whatever was going to happen, good or bad. And I think if we can get to a point to where you can accept the outcome, whatever it's going to be, I think you'll find that your anxiety level will go down. You now we're going to be taking communion in a couple of minutes. And the cross actually presents us with some challenging thoughts and ideas about this idea of peace. I don't know if you've thought about this before. But Jesus is the one that's promising us to bring us peace into our life, and there he is hanging on a cross. What's up with that? And just a few hours before that, he was so anxious and so stressed, he was sweating blood. So how does this whole, this all this peace thing, how does this work? I was thinking about this the other day, and I, was, I began to wonder, I wonder what Jesus felt like. Remember in Gethsemane, he prayed three times, right? After the third time, what does it say he did? He said he got up, got his disciples together, and he says, my betrayer is coming, let's go. I wonder how he felt right then in that moment. He just spent who knows how much time praying and sweating blood and all this stuff, but now he's ready to go. Now, whether there's some trepidation, some stuff, probably, but I think there was probably a sense of peace to some extent. I'm, I'm ready for whatever they bring. And he knew what was coming, right? Now, what about that moment? What about the time when he's on the cross, enduring horrible suffering? What was he doing? He was taking care of his mom. He was dealing with the thief on the cross next to him. He was dealing with, could he have done that if he didn't have some level of peace in his mind? And what about that moment when he looked up in the heaven and he says, it's finished. Imagine what he felt. It's done. I did it. God, I'm coming home. You know who your father is. You know, Jesus was the perfect 
image bearer of the Father. And he was totally attuned to the why in his life. So he was able to deal with probably the most extreme form of suffering that any of us would ever have to face. And in the end, heaven is waiting for him. And isn't that, isn't that the message for all of us today? We know who our Father is. We can have a why that can sustain us through whatever comes. And heaven is waiting. John, Jesus said again, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble and suffering. But take courage. I have overcome the world.